There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome, welcome to our show. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kedish, Parshish, Boy, Tafshin, Pegimo, and incredibly warm welcome to every single one of our radio family. Thank you for taking the time to join us, to be part of our show, and to make a difference. Because every person, every Jew that lends an ear, every Jew that allows himself to be strengthened and become close to our Kodesh Baruch Hu and make their Shabbos more special, is going to bring the Mashiach closer. And if you want to understand that, stay tuned, because we're going to be dealing with that later in the show. But in our parsha it says, Kaddish Hashem says, Sanctify to me every firstborn. And then it says, Moshe says to the nation, Remember this day that you went out of Mitzrayim. And then, Hashem will bring you. Now, Really, do we find a mitzvah that gets such a, a introduction, such a foreword prior to presenting the actual mitzvah to client? So, apparently, the mitzvah of kiddush b'chayim, of sanctification of the firstborn, is tied directly to the story of the bondage in Mitzrayim and the ensuing uh, uh, exodus. First we note that unlike for the Bukhar of an animal, where we say the Kedusha of an animal is pronounced by saying, Hare Ze Kedush. We say, this animal is sanctified. This declaration doesn't even work for a human firstborn. It's critical that we have to expend a great deal of effort in raising the infant Bukhar to achieve the Kedusha. It doesn't come automatically. We have to give it the Kedusha. And that's the idea behind kind of introducing the mitzvah with the Pesach story. Let's explain a little bit. So, Rav Meishatzminaria quotes Rav Tzadok HaKoyin from Lublin, who observes that concerning the mitzvah of being Mekadesh, the firstborn, the Torah doesn't write, speak to B'nai Israel, and they should consecrate for me their firstborn. Rather, the Torah comments with, it says, by Hashem Moshe, Hashem spoke to Moshe. In other words, sanctify for me every firstborn. It's almost as if HaKadosh Baruch Hu issued the mitzvah directly to Moshe that he should sanctify the firstborn. Why? Moshe wasn't even the firstborn himself. He explains that Hashem commanded Moshe Rabbeinu, who of course is the, the, the very source, right, who gave the, the Torah to Kaiser, both the written uh, Torah to to, he's the one that has to imbue the Bukharim with Kedusha, which comes from the Torah itself, right? Connecting them to the first word of the Torah, Beratius, in the beginning. They are intrinsically bound up with the Torah, and they too are also Beratius. They are the first, the beginning of a family, and their Kedusha should emanate from the Torah. While this is applied to the original firstborns who left Mitzrayim, obviously a similar idea holds true for all the firstborns that are born throughout history, right? From day one, when they enter this world, they must be inculcated with Kedusha Satayra. It doesn't just happen, we have to actually make it happen. How do we do this? So Naray explains that even prior to the Bukhar learning Torah, Shabik Sav, he must be filled, he must be imbued with the story of Yitzhiz Mitzrayim, which is the, the, the basis of, of Kaiser. He should hear 
clearly of the emunah, of the faith of our Ovis, of all of our ancestors during this terrible, terrible time. The chinuch education begins in very small steps. And the first major step is all the stories, the emunah, the faith, the love, that precedes even the actual study of, of Torah. And that's an obligation on every parent, on every educator, to put that love, to put that, that incredible, incredible Messiah into the bosom of every single child, Bukhar and Napachar, even before they get to the stage of learning the written Torah. This is going to FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kiddush, Shpashas Boy, Tafshin Pei Gemo, as we get ready for another amazing, amazing Shabbos. And I want to bring to your attention something quite interesting and startling. We know that one of the things that happened around Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, was that because Avraham Avinu had been promised at the Brisbane Habasorim, at the, uh, the, the covenant that he made with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that foretold the Golos, that after we finished the Mitzrayim, we would go out with great, great wealth. Now, the Sifsa HaKoyin, the Shach, on the Torah, writes that regarding this uh, concept of taking, borrowing, so to speak, permanently from the Egyptians uh, gold and silver to take out of Mitzrayim, that this was a privilege given to all the tribes of the Jewish nation, barring the tribe of Levi. tribe of Levi was not allowed to take, not from the spoils in Mitzrayim or was he even by the crossing of the Red Sea, not a lot of take from there either. And he says as follows, Chazal say, Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daf Kufyud, that there were three treasures that Yosef hid away in Mitzrayim. One was revealed to Kairach. One uh, was given to Antoninus, the Roman ruler who was so friendly with Rabbi Uranasi, and one is hidden away for the future. And how can it be that Kairach found one of those hidden, hidden, uh, hidden treasures? So he says, I heard that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Please speak to the people. And let them all borrow from their neighbors and friends. Now this was only said to Klai Yisrael, who themselves had worked and slaved in, in Egypt and had never been paid. This was given to them in lieu of payment for services. But Shevet Levi, that never ever were enslaved, they didn't work hard. Right, they were they were given permission to sit and learn Torah. They weren't allowed to take these spoils, and in fact, if they did, it would be considered theft, because even if you want to say that the the Jews before the Torah was given were were like the not the Gentiles, but still non-Jews also have a mitzvah. It's one of the seven Noachad mitzvahs that you're not allowed to steal, and therefore Shevet Lay, and that's why. Shevet Levi, when it came time for the inauguration of the of the Mishkan, so all the tribes brought fancy carbonas with uh, uh, plates of silver and 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 golden spoons weighing ten ten uh, talents. They couldn't do that because they were all poor people, impoverished people who had to go door to door to get food. Not a single one of the Bnei Nevli would did not touch either what was what they borrowed in Mitzrayim or what they took from the Egyptians after the spilling of the Red Sea. Kayach, uh, sorry, Kayach, however, was a person who loved money. He was what Chazal called, we talk about it when we talk about Kayach, Ish Ra'ayin. He was someone who was very, very selfish. And he didn't know that, uh, that uh, he wasn't allowed 
to take, and he himself went from house to house, right, and and desired and negotiated, and he saw how each one of the Yidden were taking the money of, of the Egyptians. So he also decided he had a tremendous, tremendous desire for 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 money in in, in, in internally. And when his, when Hakadosh Baruch Hu saw his tremendous desire and need for money, Hakadosh Baruch Hu revealed to him the one treasure that Yosef hid away. Because when a person has such a strong desire, even in Shemayim, says the Gemara. Uh, helps him out. So says Akash Baruch says to him, you have such a strong desire for money which isn't yours? Here, take all this, all this money. But, you know, you're gonna have it, but you're not going to ever get to enjoy that, that money. So Akash Baruch said, said to him. The difficulty is, that this shach is, 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 seems to be contradicted from a Gemara in, in Saita on Dafya Gemara, where the Gemara says, Tanu Abanan, that, Come and see how precious the mitzvahs are to Moshe. Everyone else was busy, uh, picking up all the spoils and getting all the riches and wealth of the Egyptians. But Unisasek mitzvahs, Moshe Rabbeinu was busy with, with mitzvahs. In other words, he was busy trying to find the coffin of Yosef because the, 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 the brothers had promised to take Yosef out of Mitzrayim, uh, with them. And the, the, the Chida asks in, in Pesach Inayim that this seems, this statement seems to contradict what the Shach says. He says, it seems difficult. Why? Because if all of Shevet Levi, everyone else but Moshe Rabbeinu was busy with the, uh, uh, sorry, if everyone else, Shevet Levi did not help themselves to, to the Biza. So what's the great praise that Moshe Rabbeinu, he wasn't busy looking for silver and gold. And, and Chazal praise him in the Gemara and in the Midrashim and the Zayar for, for that he runs after Mitzvahs and everyone else runs after silver and gold. But, if all of Shevet Levi was banned from taking any of the silver and gold, so what's so great about Moshe? The whole Shevet wasn't wasn't uh, wasn't taken, right? Because they 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 didn't work in Mitzrayim, so they had no right to take the spoils. And the Torah says, your work will be oppressed. And then, because you were oppressed, then you go out with the great wealth. And the Chida answers, perhaps. That in spite of the fact that all of Shevet Levi didn't take a portion of the, of the spoils, Moshe Ben was different because he was the one who brought us out and we were the ones that, that redeemed. So he might have thought, in other words, Moshe Ben might have thought, I deserve, yes, I didn't work in the time, but since I'm the boss, I'm the one leading this whole expedition, so to speak, I should get a portion also for my efforts. Right? Because I'm the redeemer of Christ. And therefore it's a tremendous kiddush and a tremendous source of praise to Moshe Rabbeinu that he didn't seek anything for himself, was just busy getting, getting the, the Aaron of, of, of Yosef. In the, uh, in, in the Drushas of Rabbi Yosef Pintoi, safe is called, uh, Lekartoiv, on, on Pasha's boy, he brings that this is dependent and what we find in, in, uh, in, in the Sfarim, we find two reasons why was Klai Yisrael given the spoils in Mitzrayim. One was because they worked so hard, as we find in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, and when B'nai Yisrael uh, were, were, were accused in front of Alexander Mukhtan, right, give us all the money, you said you were borrowing the money, right, give it back to us, all the money you borrowed from us. And Gevira ben Besiso, who represented the Jews in court, answered, an uh, incredible answer, and he said to him, okay, fine, uh, uh, where are you bringing the proof? They said, no, the Torah says. Why? Because the Torah says that we borrowed. So he answered them and says, yeah, so I'll also bring a proof from the Torah. Because it says, Klai Yisrael, we're in 
430 years, and we know when they worked. So give us the reward for every single worker that for 600,000 people that was enslaved in Mitzrayim for, th- for 430 years, and then we'll pay you back. Right? On the other hand, we also find that the business Mitzrayim came from the fact that there was a, a when you free a slave, there's an obligation to give him a gift. As it's a free brings, right? When you free a slave, the, the, the master has to give the slave gifts. Wives Remember that you were slaves in, in Egypt. In the same way as I gave you gifts in Mitzrayim, so too, when you, free, when you free your slaves, you're required to give them, to give them gifts. Now, if the spoils of Mitzrayim were a gift, so therefore, Shevet Levi, also should get a portion. Well, even though they didn't work in the ship, but nevertheless, they were still enslaved, they were still under the control of, of, uh, Apara. They couldn't, they couldn't leave. And therefore, what actually happened was, there was a test. And Shevet Levi decided, we're not going to take from the bees of Mitzrayim, because we did not work. Kairach, as an individual, decided he wanted money, and therefore he made the decision to take because he felt it was a gift, and that gift was deserving to everyone in in Shevet in Shevet Levi. The problem was that if he took it as a gift, then the Mitzrayim are considered then the givers of the gift, and they get a merit from that, and that became a problem for the Jewish nation. Much, much later. This is one one point nine Chayefim. The program is Salt to Salt. We'll be back. There was so much more later. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on one hundred one point nine High FM. What up, Chayefim? This is Salt to Salt. Back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedesh Par Shas Boy Tavshin Pei Gimel, and a warm welcome to all of you who have just joined us. We are talking on the Parsha. And of course, one of the major questions that everyone asks, and, and it's dealt with by many of the, of the commentaries, is that, one second, originally, when Akarish made a deal with Avram Avinu, uh, the, the Gezeira was, the, 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 the uh, imposition on the Jewish nation was that they were going to be slaves in Egypt for 400 and 400 years and practically speaking as we know they were actually only in Egypt for 210 years what happened so there are various various answers given on this on this question the Mishnah Melech in his Sefer Precious Rachim so he he deals at length with this with this question and, and he brings one of the answers of, of the Mephoshim, which is uh, connected to what we spoke about before. And, and he says as follows. They say another answer that was given is that um, the fact was that we know that the Jewish nation grew in an incredibly unnatural way. As we said, it says, B'nai Yisrael Poru, by Yishritsu, by Yirbu, by Yatsmu, Bim Oid, Ma'oid. And Chazal learned from, from that, that they were having six children at one time. Poru, one. By Yishritsu, two. By Yirbu, three. By Yatsmu, four. Bim Oid, five. Ma'oid, six. So therefore, when the population grew so great, so the 400 years, or well, the sort of the, the measure of of, of suffering was then subdivided. Instead of, let's say, it being divided over a certain number of people, now that the population uh, grew so great, it could sort of be micro-sliced up, and there was enough suffering to go around. Let, let's say the Jewish nation had to have a, a, a thousand measures of suffering. So had that been divided in a smaller population, the, the time of the Shibud would have had to be greater. But now that there was such a greater population, so we were able to give sort of pieces of the suffering to everybody, and we could finish it in a much, much shorter time because of the greater population growth. 
And he says, with this we can understand what the Novi Yeshaya says, that he was prophesizing about the future Ka'ula, and he says, Hakotain, the small one, Yiel Elif, will become a thousand. Vatsoir, and the younger one, Legoyotsum, will become an awesome sized nation. Ani I am Hashem, be ita, in its correct time, Achishena, I will hurry things up. And the question is asked, that seems to be two contradictory things. Be ita, means something that's going to happen at a fixed and predetermined time. Well, Achishan means, I'm going to hurry it up, I'm going to make it happy, happen even earlier than it could have happened. There seem to be two absolutely mutually exclusive comments. If something is Be'ita, at a prescribed, designated, set time, then it cannot be Achishana. It cannot be something that's going to happen as quickly as possible. And if it's Achishana, then it cannot be Be'ita. So he says, Achazal, uh, asked this question, and they say in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, on Daf Tzaliches, says as follows, if the Jewish nation is not meriting, so then there's already a fixed and established time where Mashiach is going to come, irrespective of what of what we do. But Zahu, if we merit it, then Achishana, then Hashem can make it come quicker. But what we're saying, the way we're saying it now, we could say it perhaps differently. That the Pasuk is actually alluding to the future time, to the time of, of Mashiach. That it's going to be, we already learned in, in Navi elsewhere, that the miracles that are going to occur at the time of Mashiach are going to be similar to the miracles that we saw at the time of Yitzhak's time. As in fact, the Pasuk says in Micha, that can make say saying a Yitzhak's time, and as, in the same as in the days of when you went down to Matzayim, I'm going to show you all kinds of wonders and miracles. And therefore what it means is that just as in Mitzrayim the, the physical population of the Jewish nation grew to such an extent and that was the cause for the quicker uh, end of the Gullus that we were able to terminate the Gullus earlier because the greater population meant we could divide up the suffering into smaller bite-sized pieces. So too, as the future redemption approaches, and even though a decreed that we're going to be in Golis a certain amount of time, nevertheless, because the Jewish nation, the population amongst the community that cares and is sensitive and adheres to Torah law is is growing. Therefore, the 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 redemption Mashiach and Eliyahu will come before the time that Hakadosh Baruch Hu decreed, because that is the midah that the the increased physical population helps to minimize the time that we need to be in Galus. And that's what it means. This is what Yeshaya is saying about the time of the Gula. He says that through the fact that the nation that was small will grow a thousand times over, that tremendous, tremendous growth, that's the and the young one will become an awesome sized nation. So HaKadosh Baruch was promising us, promising us, Ani Hashem, I am Hashem that even though there was a, a signed and sealed time and it's hidden away of one when the Mashiach needs to come at the end of days, Achishena, I'm going to make, I'm going to make that time come quicker and come faster because of the growing population exactly as it was by the redemption from, from its time. The Mishnah Mela continues and carries on and says, with this we can answer Another very, very strong question that was asked by the Mizrahi in Pasha Shemais. The Pasuk says, By Yomas Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Mitzrayim died. Right? And, and in Chazal say, Rashi says, Rashi brings it, that he became a Mitzrayim. 
He became a leper. And he was shechting, he was killing Jewish babies and washing himself in their blood. Now, the question is, how does this medrash sit together with what the Pesach says afterwards? <coughs> it says, B'nei The Kaisal sighed because of the work. Now, one second. Based on this medrash, if Kaisal were sighing, it must have been probably because their babies were 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 dying. They were they were sorry because of the terrible, terrible uh, gazelle, the terrible decree that was being made. Hundreds of babies were being killed. Every day. That was a reason for them to be sighing and crying out to Hashem, not from the work itself. And the Mizrahi does not answer that question. So he says that uh, the the answer the answer might be. He says that Klaiso, when they saw the the shiba, the terrible suffering they were having, they felt so bad because they saw that the Gezeira was, we know the original Gezeira we said was 400 years. And there was a long, long time still to go. There were many, many years to go to that 400-year deadline. But when they saw that they were having children in a completely, completely unnatural way. So that was for them a bit of a, of a comfort. <clears throat> and they were saying, oh, there's no doubt that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to make things happen for us. He's going to sort of uh, 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 fast forward it so that we can get to the end quicker because there are more and more people and therefore that's going to increase the severity and increase the length of the Shabbat. But now... When Paro became a Mitzayra and now they were killing Jewish babies by the hundred in order to, 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 uh, to heal him. 150 babies in the morning, another 150 babies in, in the, in the evening. So if so, oi, now the population is going to decrease. And that, of course, is going to retard the process. That's going to not allow our Kaddish Baruch Hu to hurry up the end. And then was sighing, why? In other words, that they're going to have to bear longer and longer and more severe shibbat because the population is now shrinking and therefore they're going to have to be in Mitzrayim for a longer time. Similar to this, we find there is a Gemara in Nida and Dafri Gimel which says, Amar Yesi says, Ein ben David, Bo Mashiach, is not going to come, Ad sheyichlu kol ha-neshama shavaguf. Until all the neshamas that are in a place called guf, guf seems to be the place where all the neshamas sort of hang out and, and stay until they are uh, uh, allocated to, to, to bodies. So Mashiach can come until all the neshamas that are there have been, have been allocated. And he brings a postage in in Yeshaya, ki ruach milfonai yatayif, that the ruach will, will, uh, emanate from me, unishamas aniasisi, and I made all the nishamas. And Rashi explains that what is this guf? It's a, it's a place, it's a place because, because, uh, 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 guf, he says, is the name of a place that is special for the nishamas that are still going to come down to this, to this, uh, to this earth. That's sort of waiting on deck, so to speak, to come, to come and, and, and have their, and have their role in, in, in the world. And he explains, why is this room called Guf? So he says, because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, so he, he saw in the future that Kleiso is going to stand, and they're going to stand at Asina and accept the Torah. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu decreed from his holy uh, Kisei that all those Neshamas who would be sent down to this world, subsequent to Matan Torah, will all gather together and put in one place to get ready and to anticipate their great journey down to this earth to be able to fulfill the mission that they had of spreading Hashem's name and and uh, disseminating the Torah throughout the whole world. Taisus, however, there in the Gemara, asked the question. He says, we know 
there's a Gemara in Shabbos that says that if the Jewish nation would only keep two Shabbos in a row, with well, all Jewish nation would properly keep Shabbos with all its observances and all its halachas, two Shabbos in a row, straight away Mashiach would come. Now, we just learned that every single neshama that was created has to be born first. I, what happens if Christ will keep two Shabbos right away? Then how's that going to happen? And Tysus answers that that uh, the Clyde show will get to a point also where they again have six babies at at once and straight away in a very short time we'll be able to use up all the neshamas if the situation arises that we keep two shabbasas and that becomes that becomes necessary to understand this a little bit more the Chassam Sefer adds in his in his Chedushim says that which we say that a, a, there's a Gemara that says in Shabbos on Daflamid that a woman in the future is going to be able to give birth every single day. And he quotes a Pasuk in, in Yirmiya, Harab Yolendis, Yachtab, she'll become pregnant and give birth together. And therefore, if it would be that Klaiso would keep two Shabbosas according to Allah, so then we'd have this phenomenon that a woman would not have to wait nine months. A woman could give birth every single day. Uh, 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 and that would be like six, six, uh, at one time, 600 babies in a week. And then straight away, the, 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 the Mashiach would come. The Mashiach brings down that in Tesis, perhaps we could answer what Chazal say that if Klaisel merits then Achishena, then Hashem will bring the Gula much quicker. Alright? As we, as we mentioned, uh, as we mentioned before. Right? Where Rabbi Yudab, where Rabbi Shubin Levi asked the contradiction, how could it be Eita? Eita means a prescribed and fixed time. And how could it be Achishena, which means that Kodesh Baruch Hu will make it quicker. And we said, if we merit, it'll be quicker. If we're not merit, it'll be in a fixed time. But, he, uh, uh, he, uh, we didn't exactly explain how we could answer up this, this seeming contradiction. However, based on what we're saying now, it all becomes out very, very clear, because the Rami Pano says that what does it mean, if we don't uh, merit? That means that if we don't manage to keep the two Shabbosas in, in a row, so then that's, then we won't get the supercharged growth of Klai Yisrael, where all the Neshamas get brought into this world, and therefore Mashiach will take a slightly longer period. But if we could merit, as the Gemara says in Shabbos, to keep just two Shabbosas in a row, then HaKadosh Baruch would do this quick fix, women would have babies every day, six at a time, and quickly we would get through the Golas and be able to get to the to the final, to the final uh, uh, gula, and perhaps we could point out here also is what's brought in the in the response of of the of the Mishnah Lachas, where he tries to explain. There's a, a skula. I'm not sure how you translate skula. A skula that is brought in in the name of of Chaim Sanzer, that uh, he says it's a it's a skula for women. Who don't have children to be, to, uh, to, uh, be able to, to conceive. And he said that if someone is very careful about keeping Shabbos, in other words, and does their part to get to the point where Kaiso will keep two Shabbos in a row, then that's going to, as we said, increase the birth rate and all those women that aren't able to have children will now be able, there's Hashem, to have, to have children. And therefore, the greatest ticket that we can make for the world, for all the women who don't have children, is to work on and increase in our own lives and in our communities the concept of keeping Shabbos of keeping Shabbos uh, 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 properly in the Yismach Moshe in Pashas Kisisa he brings uh, the same idea but kind of off his own bat and and he says and he used that to explain again what the Novi says 
says, Kichoyamar Hashem. This is what Hashem says, Lasori Sim, to those people who are Nebuchadnezzar Asterah. If they keep my Shabbos, and they choose and they live a lifestyle like I want them to live, then I'm going to bring them to my holy mountain, and they'll be able to rejoice in the Beis HaMikdash. And the obvious question is, why does he talk specifically to those who are sterile? Right? But according to what we're saying, it's, it's so, it's so beautiful. Because Chazal said, that we said, Mashiach's not gonna come until all those Nishamas get brought into this world. So therefore, though the one who is sterile might say, well, <laughs> I have no part of this. I don't have any ability to, to give birth. Right? I'm, I need Yavish. I'm like a dried out piece of wood, as the, as the Pasuk says. And what, what, what can I do to bring Mashiach closer? However, if we keep Shabbos according to, to Halacha, then we can bring the Mashiach coming even uh, if we don't have any children yet because now in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's need to get rid of all the Shabbos, who knows, even people who could never have children will be able, will be able to, to. And therefore, the Pesach makes so much sense. So Hashem says to those people who are now Sterile, but if they keep my Shabbosas, I'm going to bring them to the base of Mikdash. Because even, even if now we can't have children, in our Baruch Hu's sort of a, a, a desire to get to the base of Mikdash, to get to Gula, to bring all those Neshamas into reality, miracles, miracles can, can happen. And maybe this we can understand why by Sheva Brachas, we say, Meheiro Yishama Bar Yehuda, quickly, it should be heard in the streets of Yehuda, Uvachutsu Yishlam, in the streets of Yishlam, called Sostan, called Simcha, right, uh, uh, joy and, and happiness, and which of course is referring to the coming of Mashiach. Why are we saying this? That's the Shevet Brachos, and that's because, because this young couple is, is getting married, and Bezra Hashem is going to build a, a, a family, so that will help to Bez Hashem use up a few more neshamas from, from the goof and, and that will bring Mashiach coming even closer. This is 11.9 The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM. This is Soul to Soul back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kedesh. Parshas Boy, Tuf, Shin, Pei, Gimel. And a very, very warm welcome to those who just joined us now at this segment of the show. It is really an honor and a privilege to spend time with you on Erev Shabbos. Set growing, learning, becoming more intense in our Yiddishkeit. And as we carry on with our Hilchas Shabbos, hopefully, turning our Shabbos into something that's more beautiful, more pleasing to, to our Kaddish Baruch Hu. As we always do at this time on the show, just to go through the important details that we need to know for this week. It is, of course, already Chodesh Shvat. Chodesh was, was this week. So, this afternoon, the earliest time to light your Shabbos candles Today is at 5.38, 5.38 is the earliest time to light Shabbos candles, really slightly earlier than it was last week, but still plenty of time to get it all together. Let's, let's work at it. Let's really try to lengthen our Shabbos, to add as much breadth and quality and quantity to our Shabbos as we possibly can, get all the food hot, as I say, <laughs> work around the load shedding schedules to make sure that we have beautiful, hot, tasty food for, for, for Shabbos. Get it all organized. Get yourselves organized. Get the house organized and usher in the Shabbos a little bit early. Even if it's not get shul time, still you can bring in the, the Shabbos to your house even before we go to shul. Just kind of simmer down. Just kind of create already the atmosphere, the ambiance, the, the sort of relaxation of Shabbos and not sort of have to slam on the brakes at the very last minute as, as Shabbos, as Shabbos comes in. So 538, you can already begin the Shabbos. The latest candle lighting time for this week 
is at 6.44, 16 minutes before 7 o'clock. That's the absolute latest time for lighting our, our Shabbos candles. Although, of course, many communities accept the sort of standard Johannesburg summertime acceptance of Shabbos, which is quarter past six, and many, many shuls begin to daven at, at that time. And of course, if you belong to one of those shuls, so when they get to the point where they're finishing the Chodoidi, about to start Mizma Shul Yom Shabbos, that at that moment on, so you, since you're part of that community, is Shabbos in your life also, whether you're in shul, whether you're actually, uh, uh, uh consciously accepting it, or or not, and, but 6.44 is the absolute latest. Again, do not regard the time after 6.44, between then and sunset, as being viable time that I can use if and when I need it. It's only emergency time available for someone in a really, really dire, dire situation. Shkia then is at 7.02, two minutes past 7.00. Is, is, uh, is a sunset, and therefore if you want to be able to daven Mayrev or say Kriyashima, at least before you sit down to the meal, which is certainly ideal to say Kriyashima at night, fulfill the Torah mitzvah of saying Kriyashima at night before one sits down to the Shabbos meal. So already at 20 past 7, 20 past 7 is certainly uh, a night, three stars, and you can say the Kriyashima and then really just kind of sit down and, and make Kiddush and just enjoy a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. We're all back at our jobs or whatever it is that we're doing, and we need a good Shabbos. We need a good, refreshing, restful kind of Shabbos, and this is it. And of course, restful means just being together with the family, spending time, eating together, speaking together, just going over the events of the week, saying a nice a nice Tvatayra at all. No one's in a rush. No one's running off to any appointments. No one has to look at their, at their phones. We can just actually enjoy each other's, each other's company. Tomorrow morning, of course, we're laning Pasha's boy, which is the Pasha that actually, uh, recounts the actual exodus, the actual Yitzias, uh, Mitzrayim and many mitzvahs that are there around Pesach, around the Korban Pesach. The Haftarah, of course, is the standard Haftarah for Pasha's uh, boy, and the Shabbos continues. It's a sort of, in terms of, uh, there's nothing, uh, I mean, every Shabbos is unique, but no, no halachic standouts as far as, as far as the process is concerned. Still a long day, although Shabbos is already ending a few minutes earlier. Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 7.35, 25 minutes to 8 is the end of, is the end of, of, of Shabbos. And then we go into another beautiful, beautiful week. Tubishvat is still a little bit more than a week away. After next Shabbos will be a week from Sunday night will be will be Tubishvat. And we have something to look forward to. And then of course, once you get your Tubishvat, Purim is only a month away after that. We are learning about the laws of Bishal, the laws of of cooking. And a very, very important uh, uh, concept that we need to understand in, in Bishel is the way the food is cooked and the intensity of that, of that cooking. And we know, of course, when we cook, the process of actually cooking is performed in some kind of vessel, pot, pan, whatever it might be, that is placed directly on a heat source directly on the fire, and that is what brings about the, the process of transforming something from being raw, from being inedible, to be, go into the cooked state. So the question, of course, that we have to ask is, what is the, the uh, uh, halacha, what would be the law, if let's say you have a pot that isn't actually sitting directly on the fire, or maybe on the, on the Shabbos, on the Shabbos platter. And let's say there is hot water in that pot, or maybe some other hot cooked dish, and it's hot beyond the heat of, of Yatzel Lettuce Boy. Would one be allowed to, let's say, put into that pot? It's not on the fire. It's very hot, but it's not on the fire. Would I be allowed to put into that pot some other food that, let's say, isn't cooked yet? It's not on the fire. The actual uh, a cooking source is the fire. This pot is not on the fire. Can I put something 
which is not cooked into a klirishon, because klirishon is the word that we describe for the vessel that usually sits on the fire, can I put something that's not cooked into that pot? And the obviously general answer would be that anything that qualifies as a klirishon, in other words, something that was on the fire, even if it's not on the fire now. So that would be forbidden to put into that pot something which is not yet cooked. However, if it's a klisheni, in other words, if the food has been transferred from the pot in which was cooked to another vessel, so as far as the strict halach would be concerned, it would be permitted. However, practically speaking, the reality is only when that transfer happens a second time into what we call the klishlishi, would you then really be allowed to put something that isn't yet uh, properly cooked? Now, just to define again, the klirishon is the vessel, the pot, whatever it might be, that became hot through exposure to a fire or any other active heat source. <clears throat> Klisheni is the vessel that I poured from that clay in which I cooked it, the water or the cooked food, into that second vessel. Right? I poured it from the vessel that had or was standing or, or had stood on on the fire into that into that second vessel. Now, the reason why we make a distinction between the vessel that actually stood on the fire and the one in which you pour it into is because the clearisha and the fire, the, the, the vessel that actually stood on the fire, so the entire vessel, even it's, it's the walls of the, of the pot, all became very, very hot. And therefore, for quite an extended time, even if I remove it from the heat, for quite an extended time afterwards, it keeps, it preserves its, its heat. And therefore, it has the ability to cook some raw food that I would put inside of it. However, a klisheni, since it started off cold and its walls never got heated by the fire, so in a very, very short time, the cooked food or the, or the water that is poured into it will soon, very shortly, get get cold. And therefore, they don't have the ability to cook something that is that is raw that you might put into into uh, into them, and that's the difference between klirishon and a klisheni. We're going to come back with a few more short notes after this break. This is one one point nine. The program is soul to soul. The station is high FM, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, soul to soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pashas, Bo, Tav, Shin, Pei, Gimel, as we round out our show, talking about the laws of the Klirishon and the Klishenu, we said the differences that the Klirishon was directly on the fire, and therefore the entire vessel is heated and therefore maintains the ability to cook a raw food, Klishenu, which was never heated, the heat clearly and, and, and very shortly will, will, uh, dis- dissipate. However, there are certain kinds of foods, let's say, uh, certain kinds of, of fish, that they are exceptions to the rule, and they could even be cooked very, very quickly and very, very easily. And therefore, even in a klisheni, they might be able to become cooked. These kind of foods, are, are, are considered, the term that's used in halacha to describe them is kale abishal, things that are cooked easily. And, and, and the Torah forbids a person to cook them even in a klisheni. And, and, and even actually beyond that, you can't even pour onto them hot water from a klisheni onto that food. That would also be forbidden. 
forbidden because since it's very very easy for them to to be cooked in a very very short and 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 uh, and uh, you know not intense fashion so even by pouring hot water from a klisheni they already can become cooked and, and are not edible to 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 anyone and even though that as far as the strict halacha is concerned it would seem that there are very very few and, and far between types of food that would fall into this category of things that are easily cooked. But many, many of our great poiskim are worried, maybe we don't even know necessarily to make a distinction between uh, certain kinds of foods and what is actually cooked easily and not. And therefore, according to their opinion, only when we specifically know that this food is not uh, something that is easily cooked, right? Uh, 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 let's say a uh, uh, water and and oil, things like that. Uh, those you're allowed. Only those things that you know do not get cooked easily are you allowed to put into a into a a, cli, a cliche. And in in addition to that, according to many of the of the great poiskim, any food that went through a a cooking process. Before Shabbos, so the Chachamim forbade you to put that into a klisheni on Shabbos. Why? Because when I put it into a klisheni, it looks like you're actually cooking. And therefore, practically speaking, we don't put foods that has not been fully cooked into a klisheni on Shabbos because we're worried about that it could become cooked there. But you'll be allowed to pour from a klisheni on a food that did not go through a cooking process unless you know that it's something that's category, that uh, would qualify as kalei, as kalei habishol. Okay, that's about all the time we have this week. Let me just take a moment to wish all of you an amazing and wonderful good Shabbos. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being part of our radio show. And I wish you brochat slach and I bench you all. We should be zerger to spend time together again next week, preparing ourselves, readying ourselves, and inspiring ourselves for the Shabbos that's coming. To each and every one of our radio family, a good Shabbos.